If you have your Bible today, I'd like to ask you to turn to Philippians 4.19. We're going to deal with that in just, just a minute. title of my message is Dealing with Debt. I try and preach a whole lot of different sermons that cover a whole lot of different things. And I haven't talked about this in a long time. And a lot of people are in debt. So I wanted to talk with you about it today. This morning we're going to look at one of those moments in our lives when we are under financial stress. I'm not going to ask for you to raise your hand or anything. (laughs) But uh, you know a lot of us get in kind of tight times every once in a while and we have to sort of work through it. There is a proven economic law. I want to share that with you. When your outgo exceeds your income, then your upkeep becomes your downfall. I don't know if you're familiar with that one, but uh, that's the truth. Uh, That's the way it works. Everyone goes through this regardless of how much money you have. It's a myth that only poor people have financial stress. The very rich people, they're always worried about their money because they don't uh, uh, want anybody to get it. So uh, they're really worried about it. We're all going through uh, some difficult times financially somewhere along in our life. It uh, might be next week, next month, next year, next decade. Uh, We don't know, but the way drugs are going up and insurance is going up, it might be sooner than any of us would want. If you will let him, God can teach you some wonderful lessons during this time. There's no better time to learn to trust God than a time when you're in financial stress. Does God have anything to do with our uh, financial stress? Does he have anything to do with the timing of that in our life? Absolutely. Money is the number one cause in America of domestic uh, unhappiness. And number two is way, way, way behind it. Number one is strong and clear. Many couples need to undergo plastic surgery. They need to cut up a lot of their credit cards. (laughs) Debt is really a terrible, terrible uh, thing. Listen to the guarantee from God in Philippians 4.19. This is our text today. God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm sure that you noticed that it didn't say some of your needs. It didn't say that. It said all of your needs. Look again at the word will. It does not say might. It does not say God might consider this or that. It says God will meet. All of your needs. Now this is a promise that is based on God's character. Notice again the word needs. It does not say that God is going to meet all your greeds. It doesn't say that. Uh, Is there a big difference between the word need and greed? Yes, there is. Surely we all have learned the difference between what we need and what we want. Do you give your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, do you give them everything they want? 
If you do, that's a mistake because they are going to be spoiled brats uh, if you keep it up. I had a lady in the first service today. She came up and she had her daughter with her and she said, she is spoiled rotten. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. Well, it is very, very difficult for God to know just how to mold us and how to, how to urge us and move us toward the, the way that would be pleasing to him. And I know that the Lord is concerned for each one of us. He has a great love for each one of us that are here today. And he wants us to do so well. He doesn't want us to be spoiled brats. God promises to meet our needs. It says, according to his glorious riches. Now, it's not based on our self-worth. It's based on his worth. And, of course, God owns everything. We're going to talk about that in a couple minutes. Finally, the words, in Christ Jesus. Now, this promise is, is given to those that are in Christ Jesus. It's not uh, given to everyone. God does not promise to meet everyone's need. It's talking about those that have trusted in Christ as their Lord and Savior. And that, of course, is a great promise, that he is going to meet your needs. I know exactly what some of you are thinking. If that promise is true, then why do I have financial needs? Well, God has not promised to bail you out of debt, uh, out of circumstances that you have made for yourself. I believe the scriptures teach us that there are five conditions for this promise to be fulfilled. And you say, well, what are those five conditions? Number one, we must seek his assistance. We need to seek that. The Lord never closes the door to his storehouse until we close our mouths. More than 20 times in Scripture, it tells us to ask for what we need. This morning I prayed for rain. We need rain. We really do. The farmers are having a harder time. God wants all of us to learn to ask God, yes, even about financial matters. One of the reasons we do not see God working in our lives is because we don't ask him to. Consequently, instead of living our lives based on Christ, Many are living their lives based on debt or on uh, credit. If you want to see God work through your finances, then commit yourself to pray about all the things that you buy. Uh, be sensitive uh, to where that's going to lead you. Is that going to lead you into debt? Then that's not where you should be. The reason you have never had God act specifically in your financial matters is because you haven't asked him. James 4.2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. Again and again, the Lord says, ask. Why does he tell us over and over again in the scripture to ask him for things? John 
16.24 says, If you have not asked for anything in my name, ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Do you know why God wants you to learn to ask for things in prayer? Because he wants to give you stuff. He really does. He wants to give you what you need. It brings great joy to his heart to give you what you need. Why does he do that? Well, simply because God is our heavenly father. Now, I know many of you have stories about how much your father loved you. But our heavenly father loves us even more than that. He loves you with all of his heart. He is not some powerful being up in the sky that wants to make your life miserable. Yes, he does know before you ask what your needs are. Yes, he does know that. But he will not give them until you ask for them. God did not save you until you ask. You had to ask. Likewise, God will not meet your needs. Until you ask. Point number two. Have the right attitude toward material things. Your happiness is not based on outside circumstances. Uh, In Philippians 4.12, Paul says, I know what it is to be needy. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned. Learned is the key word. I have learned. The secret of being content in any and every situation. You have to learn to be satisfied. It doesn't come to us naturally. But if you learn how to be satisfied or content, then God will meet all of your needs. How do you learn to be satisfied? You learn to be satisfied by eliminating the causes of discontentment. The cause of discontentment is always the same. The cause of discontentment is comparing. Comparing. In our society today, we have made comparing a national sport. Uh, We compare everything. We compare houses. We compare cars. We compare husbands. We compare wives. We even compare our children and our grandchildren. We're we're all into comparing. We compare, we insistently compare everything. Well, when you compare, guess what's going to happen? You are always going to be discontented. If you keep comparing, it's going to make you real, real sad. Comparing always gets us into trouble. We have to learn to be satisfied. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 6 and 7, it says, Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of the world. Now, we all know that. When we were born, we didn't bring anything into the world. When you die, you don't take anything out of the world. One of the greatest secrets to having peace of mind is to realize that we really don't own anything. Did you know that? You don't own anything. 
It's only on loan to you for a period of time, for 50 or 70 or 90 years. You get it for a while, but it's not yours. We get to use it while we're here. The Bible calls this stewardship. Stewardship. We are managers of what God allows us to have while we're here. Now let me ask you this. If you only intend to use your personal wealth on you personally, why should God help you with that? If you buy into the myth that having more will provide you with all the happiness in the world, why should God affirm that myth in your life? If your philosophy is whoever dies with the most toys wins, I don't think God is going to add to that foolishness. God is under no obligation to meet your needs. If you think that money is all that life is about. The second condition for God to meet your needs is for us to have the right attitude toward the material things of this world. Number three, I must exercise giving in faith. This is the law of the harvest. It's found in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 8. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly reaps sparingly. Whoever sows generously reaps generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, I am sure you understand the principle of sowing and reaping. It's very simple. It applies to every area of our life, every area. It isn't just for the area of financing. If you sow criticism, don't you hate it when when you're standing in a group and somebody walks off, and as soon as they're out of hearing distance, somebody in the group where you're standing starts saying bad things about them. You know, those kind of people, everybody knows who those people are. And guess what? They get ten times more criticism than the person they're criticizing. That's the way it works. That's the way it works. If you sow kindness, you're going to reap kindness. If you sow a lot of love, you're going to get a lot of love. Whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. When a farmer looks out on his barren field, he does not start bemoaning the fact that the fields are barren. He takes some seed, And he plants the field. If he only has a little seed, then he has a choice. He can eat the seed or he can plant the seed. If he eats it, it's gone. But if he plants it, he will reap a harvest far greater than his original seed. It's the same with life. When you give your life away, when you plant your life in other people... God will return it to you tenfold, tenfold. You always reap a lot more than you sow. Now here's the principle of the harvest. Whatever I need, I plant a seed. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, preacher, 
That doesn't make any sense. Well, I can see why you would think that. It doesn't sound logical, really, does it? That is called faith. Faith. God says the way you get is by giving, not by hoarding. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, and then your barns will be filled to overflowing. Filled. That's the principle of tithing. It is giving God the first 10% of your income. Why does God say that? Does he need your money? Absolutely not. He owns everything. Everything in this world. Well, why does he tell us that? Because it represents our heart. If we tithe our time and our money to the work of God, it represents giving ourselves to the Lord. Recently, we've had a number of our men out working in the yard uh, trying to work up a watering system. It looks like a mud hole out there. And we need to have some sprinklers that water that. And uh, men are, a lot of the men in our church are out there working hard. And I think, boy, that is just wonderful. They're giving their time. We give our time, our resources, we give whatever God would want us to give. I don't care how much you claim that Jesus is very first in your life. If you're not tithing, then probably he's not first in your life. I promise you that where you are putting your time and your money, that's where your heart is. Look at your checkbook. That's, that's the way you can tell what you are really, really interested in. Number four, keep good character. God does not bless dishonesty. Proverbs 16, 11 says, Honest scales and balances are from the Lord. If you want God to bless you financially in whatever endeavor that you're in, you must be honest about it. Why is this an important principle? It's important because during those times in our life when things are tight around our house financially, there is a temptation for us to be a little bit dishonest so we can get more. The temptation is to compromise your integrity. Proverbs 10.22 says, The blessing of the Lord brings wealth. And he adds no trouble to it. You say, what, what does that mean? Well, it means that a profit gained by dishonesty will have trouble with it. And it will always be with you. How do I know? The law of the harvest is why. If you plant honesty, you plant hard work. You plant giving your attention to those places of need. God will bless that abundantly. But if you plant something in dishonesty, the Lord will not bless it. You're going to reap exactly what you sow. 
Now let me remind you, the decision to be honest in all of your endeavors is not just for today. It's for every day of your life. Number five, have faith in God with my life. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Well, think about this. The only thing that God created that worries is man. The plants don't worry. The animals don't worry. When you worry about your finances, you are saying basically that God has lied. You are saying that God will not meet your needs. It is a father thing. Think about it. When I was a teenager, I would go and ask my dad for money for different things. I never thought about, does he have the money to give to me? That thought never crossed my mind the whole time I was growing up. And I bet it didn't yours either. You know, they were the fount of all blessing, we thought. We just go to them, (laughs) ask them for stuff, and they uh, give us uh, stuff. And uh, that's the way we think. Well, uh, there was not a single time in my life that I thought about, you know, my dad's working real hard. Does he have the money? Does he have what I want? That wasn't my worry. God says we can come to him and ask, and if we meet his conditions, he will bless the socks off of us. Every one of us. He doesn't want to act, uh, he doesn't want us to act like atheists. He doesn't want us to act like the heathens who do not have a heavenly father. He says again in this verse, he wants us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. As long as we love anything more than God, that thing, whatever it is, is going to be a source of anxiety. In our lives. 1 Timothy 6.17 says. Do not put your hope in wealth. Which is so uncertain. But put your hope in God. In my first full time church. There was a man in the church that was very rich. And he let everybody know that he was very rich. He wanted everybody to know he was very rich. Well he didn't believe in insurance. And he got deathly ill, and he went to the hospital. And after about three weeks, he didn't have any money. The doctor bills, the hospital bills, all those bills, took everything he had. And when I went to see him in the hospital, he cried. He said, I've lost all my money. I've lost all my money. As if that was the only issue in life. Your bank account should not be your security. It can be lost tomorrow. The Bible says, put your hope in God. He tells us to put our hope in him and he will meet our needs. Well, this morning, if you're here in the house... And you've been thinking about trusting in Jesus. This would be a great day to do it. 
If you've been thinking about coming and joining our fellowship, joining our family, joining our church, we'd love to have you. Reedy Reedy joined our church in the first service today. Sweet lady, probably some of you know her. I hope there will be some in this service that will come and join with us and, and put their life to work for the Lord Jesus. We're going to give an invitation, a time for you to come. Let's stand together as we sing. I'll be waiting here at the front.